Wow. Wow. No we way. loud now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Hello? Hello, it's James Morrison. Hi, James Morrison. This is Amy Doe and John Cotter from the Radio DePaul podcast. Hello. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you. How are you doing on this on this fine, fine, rainy Friday? Uh, very well, thank you. Well, it's a sunny Saturday here. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Are you in Chicago right now? Uh, no, no, I'm uh, heading to Chicago shortly. I'm actually in Melbourne, Australia at the moment. Oh my goodness, wow. The concert is on Monday, correct? Uh, that's correct, yeah. <laughs> How is that usually about the time frame? Um, yeah, sometimes a lot closer than that. I'll actually get in a day before, so uh, often I come in just on the day of the concert. Wow, that's incredible. Um, shall we shall we get started? Yes, let's do it. Let's. Um, could you please start by introducing yourself and talking a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you're coming to Chicago? Okay. Well, I'm James Morrison. Uh, I guess the simplest way to describe myself, I wear a number of different hats. Is I'm a, a jazz musician. Uh, I'm an educator. I actually run a university uh, here in um, in Australia, in South Australia which specializes in teaching jazz and uh, my students there do um, degrees in uh, in music performance, a Bachelor of Music and Bachelor of Arts. Um, but I also spend a lot of my time on the road, uh, traveling around the world, touring. Um, that means things like I'm doing this weekend, which is flying all the way from Australia to the other side of the world to, to do a gig. And the gig this time, funny enough, I mean, it seems strange to me, I'm actually sitting in Melbourne as I speak to you, Melbourne, Australia, and I'm about to fly to Chicago to play with the Melbourne Melbourne Symphony. So, um, <laughs> oh my god! Normally, when I play with them, they're just down the road. Now they're on the other side of the world, so we'll meet up there uh, to play in Chicago. And we're also meeting up and collaborating with a, a great friend of mine and an amazing musician, uh, Kurt Elling. Kurt and I have done many things together over the years. Earlier this year, we released an album that we did live in New York. Uh, but with all the things we've done, working with big bands and quartets and all over the world, we've never actually performed together with a symphony orchestra. So uh, to come together for the first time doing that, and he's flying in from New York and I'm flying in from Melbourne, and uh, we're going to join my local orchestra, the Melbourne Symphony, of course, his local city because he's from Chicago. So there's all sorts of synergies going on here. Wow, that's so... that's amazing. You think about all the connections in there and all the different things. It's um, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's the main thing. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Chicago before? I have been to Chicago a number of times. Um, I played uh, uh, many years ago at the Chicago Jazz Showcase. More recently, when I come, I play at the. Uh, I love playing at the Green Mill, which is just a fantastic classic jazz club. One one of the oldest jazz clubs in the world, if not the oldest. Uh, but uh, it's nice to be coming there to play um, you know, with the symphony orchestra in a concert hall. So, um, yeah, but I love Chicago. It's, it's, it's interesting, too, because Chicago has quite the deep-rooted history in blues and jazz, especially with those clubs you're talking about. So, And when you come and perform in Chicago, I'm assuming you perform in these, on these big stages, but also at these clubs. You kind of, which one do you prefer, like the big stage or the more concentrated, smaller atmosphere? You know, I, I think I'm really lucky that I get to do both because if you do a string of small club gigs, it's so nice then to get into a concert hall or into a big venue. 
Um, but when you've been doing a tour of concert halls, it's so nice to get into an intimate club. So I really love the variety, and um, I do get to do that. So I, I think I'm very lucky. Could could you talk a, a little bit about your career? Because I was doing some research, and you have been like continuously on the road. Yeah, I, look, I, I started on the road at the age of 16. Uh, so that's like a little more than 40 years ago now. And uh, I've been touring ever since. It's funny, people sometimes say to you, oh, how long, this tour, how long is this tour you're on at the moment? And I always say, well, so far about 40 years. But um, I do spend a lot of time on the road. I think that's that's part of you know, a musician's life, um, but particularly a musician from Australia, because so much is happening in the rest of the world and, and I'm so far away from that. We have plenty going on in Australia, but if you want to be you know, part of the scene around the world, so I spend a lot of my year going backwards and forwards. Um, I could just sort of go over to the other side of the world, you know, and spend a few months in Europe and spend a few months in the States. But um, because I have my school, back here in Australia, which I'm, I'm very dedicated to. I need to be here often. So it means going back and forward. It does lead to some silly things. When I say silly, I love them, but I mean, this weekend I'm flying to Chicago for one night and then going back to Australia. And I do things like that often. As a few weeks ago, I went to France just for one night and back. So um, a lot of time traveling, but it's all worth it when you get there. How the hell do you cope? Like with that time difference. I just like can't fathom that. Well, you know, it's it's actually easier to go to a place for one night than it is to go for say four or five nights. Because four or five nights, you know, you're jet lagged most of the time and you're just getting onto the right time, say towards the end of the week. And then you go back and do it all again. But when I go just for one night like this, I just arrive um, and uh, do a rehearsal, do the gig, have a sleep, and then get back on the plane. So I actually stay on Australian time. So um, although, you know, flying that far and flying that much in a couple of days knocks you around a bit, but you don't ever really change time zones. So I'll just do the concert in, you know, uh, I'm trying to think what time of day it will be for me. I'll probably be doing the concert at like six in the morning for me. That's okay. <laughs> it's like a quick blur. It just happens in a day. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's definitely the way it, uh, it goes. But um, yeah, you do it a lot. It's kind of funny because I might um, be here with friends or with my students or whatever on a, you know, on a Friday, and they say I'll see you where we off for the weekend, and I get on a plane, go to Chicago, do a gig, and I'm back Tuesday. They're back, and they say, "Did you have a good weekend?" You know, we went down to the beach, and I say, "Oh yeah, I went to Chicago." Um, it does give me lots of great gags, so I mean, you know. People say, oh, yeah, I'm headed down to the pub. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Chicago. I get to quote the song. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope your students don't say they're tired a lot. That would get on my nerves. Oh, <laughs> they do, of course. And when they do, I mean, I've got so much ammunition. It's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Always ready. And um, could you talk a little bit more about your school? Uh, I understand that you do a lot of work um, in music education for all ages, um, and especially in the U.S., music education and arts education is something that is severely underfunded and underrecognized, especially at the elementary level. Absolutely. 
Well, I spend a lot of time with all the touring I do, and not just in Australia, but all over the world. I try as often as I can to visit a school. Um, even this trip to Chicago, uh, there isn't time, but if there was, if I had one extra day, the thing I'd be looking to do is uh, go and visit a school. And so, uh, or more than one if I could. So I do a lot of that, and I have for many, many years. I find that, unfortunately, one of the uh, things that seems to be quite common is if you have a vibrant music program and lots happening in a school, it's not because it's part of the curriculum or because that's what you get in schools or it's part of the system. It's that you'll have one music teacher there who is really enthusiastic and really passionate and just creates that. Whilst that's absolutely wonderful, um, to me it's a shame that it's not something that's just how it should be everywhere and that we make sure that happens by having the right people there and, you know, and having the resources. Um, because a lot of schools you find there isn't that happening and that's because there isn't a champion there to make it happen. And, um, you know, we don't need a champion in a school to make sure they learn maths or they learn English or they learn... And we shouldn't need a champion in a school, although they're great, um, to make sure that, that, that young people are exposed to music in, in a really positive way and have opportunities. Um, and I, I don't think it's... I think one of the problems is music is often looked at as almost an extracurricular activity like you know that's for the musical people or the people who want to have a play that's fine i think it's something way more fundamental than that i think it's an opportunity for young people to express themselves and to say oh yes but they're not all going to be musicians or they're not all musical even is just such a nonsense statement i mean imagine if i said okay these kids here they never go outside and kick a ball or run around or do anything like that because they're not going to be professional sportsmen i mean you'd think i was mad you know and, and i would be and even if we said oh these ones aren't really sporty so we won't bother with them they can just stay inside and draw we'd say no 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 everybody every human being has to get outside in the air and in the sunshine and run around nothing to do with whether you're a sportsman or not sure some are going to become elite sportsmen fantastic We'll cater for them, but everyone should have that experience. It's good for you. Music is exactly the same. It's, it's self-expression. And it doesn't matter whether someone's so-called musical or not. I've never met a human being who's not musical. It's just that not everyone's going to be a musician. Um, but, but everyone, the delight and the opening up of the eyes and of the spirit, you see, of young people when they get to make music, sometimes particularly the ones who aren't that musical. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's inspirational and it can change their lives and it can change their self-esteem and it can change the way they think and all sorts of things. So uh, as you can gather from what I'm saying, I could be slightly biased and a little bit passionate about this, but I've just seen it too many times and seen too much good done from people being exposed to and having the opportunity to participate in making music and the earlier the better. And um, we should follow that through all the way through school, like we do with most other subjects. And then when you leave school, sure, decide what you want to do for career. But I think in an ideal world, when people left school and said, well, I want to be a marine biologist or I want to fly a plane or I want to, whatever they want to do, they've been playing music all the way through school. And they say, oh, yeah, but I'm going to keep playing music. I'm going to be at a band with friends on the weekend or I'm going to be able to get together and jam at parties or sit on my own with my guitar or my piano or my trumpet and make some music when I want to. It's, I think that would be a, an ideal situation where, you know, just as 
we encourage people when you leave school, don't stop running around and kicking a ball. You know, you got to do that or do something on the weekends in amongst your job where you sit at a desk. You should also go and play some music. Um, I think it would be that would be an ideal situation. But at the very least, you know, we want to make sure everyone has the opportunity while they're in school in that really important formative time to be exposed to and have opportunities in music. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, that we, was a we, long answer. we want the bias, by the way. We, we completely want that bias that you were talking about. Okay, well, you got it. <laughs> So look, I should add to that that uh, in Australia, I've been working on this for some years and we have seen a lot of progress and we have a lot of young people uh, in our schools involved in music, a high percentage uh, compared to a lot of places in the world. And um, it's it's starting to gain momentum and bear fruit and we've got a, a review of the curriculum going on here in many of our jurisdictions. Education is a state-based thing in Australia, so it's decided by each state government and we work on them all. And they're starting to really come around and um, and make this more part of part of life for all kids. So uh, we're getting there. And uh, and look, even with the things that have already been done, we're really seeing uh, it's bearing a lot of fruit. It's so worthwhile. Yeah, it's so great to hear how much you care about this the the equity and the chances for all of these other potential aspiring musicians or those that don't even know what music is to them yeah. yet so for you when did when did music become not an extracurricular like when did it become something that you knew would be a way of life for you music was extracurricular for me for about six months um, <laughs> at the age of six by the time i was seven i stated to all who would listen <laughs> and you know what seven-year-olds are like i want to be a fireman i want to be this i want to be that all great things but we kind of tend to say, well, we'll see, you know. But I said to everyone, I'm going to go around the world and play the trumpet. And I didn't even call it being a musician. I just knew I wanted to play and I wanted to get to play to everybody. And um, uh, that's why what I decided then. So from that moment, it was the main thing I was doing. And I think much to the um, <laughs> much to the dismay of many of my teachers throughout school, everything else I did was extracurricular. <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of flipped the roles there for, for what you were supposed to be doing, and it worked out incredibly oh, yeah. in your favor. So, absolutely. So I, I started forming my own ensembles when I was nine, and who knows what they were like, but that wasn't the point, of course. It was that I was doing it, and um, by the time I got to high school, I went to a high school where there wasn't uh, a band to play, and so I started it. And they still have a band at that school. they got three at that school now, but... Um, it was just a, yeah, that was the main thing I was doing uh, right through school. And I started working professionally when I was 13 anyway. While I was in school, I was playing nightclubs four nights a week and going to school in the daytime. So school was very extracurricular. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier uh, how important it is to have like good teachers that believe in you, um, especially when it be like comes to arts and the music. Are there people like that in your life? Absolutely, yes, and and it's 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 so important. It's essential to have uh, mentors, to have role models, to have people to take that thing. That the young people are so ready to be inspired, um, and a lot of the time, when sort of society may you know wring their hands and say there's not enough passion or inspiration or whatever they're looking for in young people, it's they're so ready to be inspired, but they do just often need a bit of guidance 
and someone to sort of present them with an opportunity to uh, to be inspired. And so um, those mentors, those teachers um, are so important. And I was very lucky early on to have a number of people come into my life that um, that were like that about music and be able to uh, to guide me. And, it, you know, it's almost like a baton that gets passed on along the way. To start with, it might be your parents and then it might be a teacher at school or maybe, you know, a, a friend of the family who's a musician. And um, as I went along, then I met, you know, more musicians as I started um, performing uh, professionally from that young age. And um, you know, they took me under their wing and acted as mentors. And, uh, and on it goes. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so wonderful now at this stage of my career to be able to sort of pass that on. And, and I'm aware when I'm talking to young people and, um, and hopefully uh, inspiring them, you're going to be sitting where I am one day. I not only am predicting that, I'm asking you to do that to make sure you pass this on too. You know how you're feeling now? You can give that to somebody else. I was doing some Googling uh, about you and I stumbled upon your YouTube channel and I found this incredible video called Julian Lee, James Morrison and Don Burroughs in which you were playing the piano and Don Burroughs was sitting in his chair with one hand on the keyboard and the other looking at you while you were playing. Could you talk a little bit through that video? Yes, well, Don was uh, a very early mentor of mine. He's widely considered practically the father of Australian jazz. Um, he's in his 90s now, and um, he took me under his wing when I was 16. And um, I ended up uh, playing in his band and touring for a few years with him. But he was by far the most famous musician in Australia, apart from being one of the best. And, uh, so he introduced me to an audience and and um, oh, taught me so much about the business and, and as well as how to play, but just how to survive and how to you know make a career out of being a musician and all sorts of things. And was able, of course, to give me great insight from an Australian perspective. Now, listen, we live on an island at the bottom of the world, so you're going to have to like going in planes, <laughs> all sorts of things. Uh, and then Julian Lee, another great musician uh, in Australia, also in his 90s. I think Julian's 95 now. Uh, funny enough, Julian and I share the same uh, birthday. And um, um, I've been playing with him since I was 16 too, another one of Australia's greatest musicians. And uh, both of them are retired now, I mean, in their 90s. Um, they're, you know, um, taking a little more time to relax. And so I, Don lives in Sydney and Julian lives some hours away in another place. And they never get a chance to catch up anymore. So I grabbed Don in the car one day and said, let's go and visit Julian. And we did. I discovered that he'd stopped playing and he didn't even have a piano anymore. And I said, well, that's no good. And so I heard about that before I went. I took the keyboard with me. We set it up. I said, no, we're going to play. Now, he can only use one hand now. I said, it's okay, I'll play the other hand. And I'll do that with one of my hands. I'll play the trumpet with the other one. <laughs> Away we go. And it's just so, it, it is like a full circle. It's like when you get with those young kids and they get so inspired to see these older gentlemen, you know, who, um, who now have likely stopped playing, just make some music again. 
and feel that, that thing of expressing yourself again. They light up exactly as they did when they were seven years old. And um, it's amazing. In fact, that some a few years ago, Don had a stroke and he lost a lot of his memory and he was very... Um, uh, very sort of shut down, very uncommunicative, and, and they said, you know, he's not doing really well. We don't know how he's going to come out of this. I got his, I got his clarinet out, and put it in his hands, and he didn't remember how to play it. And um, it was just amazing to me to see this great musician, unfamiliar with his instrument, that he'd spent, you know, 75 years playing. And I just gave him a couple of tips, and I thought, this is mad. I'm sitting here giving a lesson to my mentor. <laughs> Um, but something clicked when he started to play suddenly it all came back and he started to play and with the knowledge on how to play and with that expression of music back came a whole lot of his memory and most of all back came his personality and it was like he was back with us and uh, from there he just went up and up and he's been fine ever since so the music was the thing was the key to unlocking something in him that um, that brought him back from the brink and uh, you know it's I've, I've just had the great privilege to be somewhere where music did something wonderful to someone so many times in my life that uh, you know I, I almost feel like where there's a problem well quick let's get everyone to make some music that's going to make it a whole lot better <laughs> that's such a powerful story thank you for sharing that not at all. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> uh, John, do you have any other questions? No, uh, that was all of these stories that you've been telling are so detailed and, and you put a lot of emotion into them and it feels very real. And I appreciate that uh, you are so open on our show. And it was great to hear all this stuff because per usual during Amy and I's interviews, usually one of us picks the subject and the other hops in. And I am that person hopping in right now, and I am astonished. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. No, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, you know, coming to, to Chicago uh, to play with the Melbourne Symphony, and then one of Chicago's great, uh, you know, exports, uh, Kurt Elling, is, um, is just another example of, of one of the things that I think music does best and that I've been able to, to do um, all of my life. And it sort of brings people together. You know, I, I guess I'd like to say to anyone listening to this, because there'll be musicians listening and there'll be a whole lot of people who aren't musicians, and, and you know, anybody could be listening, is this, that rather than thinking next time you're listening to some music, whether you're the one playing it or whether you're in the audience, I'd like to give you this idea to ponder, that an experience I have when I play, which is rather than there's a performer and there's an audience. It's that we're all in the room together, really having the same experience. Because the experience I'm having, the most, the big greatest experience I'm having is not playing an instrument. It's hearing the music that comes out when I do. And that's exactly the same experience the audience is having. So I really feel like at its best, and isn't that what we want all the time, when music is, is, is performed, everyone in the room's having the same experience the music is the experience we're having and okay one guy happens to be holding a trumpet big deal it's kind of that's not the main thing and so whenever you, you go to a performance um if you can walk in with that idea whether you're the one holding the instrument or not we're all coming in here to experience what music does 
to the human spirit, to the human soul, then uh, that's really what I would, you know, love to think happened every time music is played. Well stated. <laughs> I think that is a beautiful. Okay. I think that is a beautiful note to end on. Thank yes, you thank so you. much, James. Okay. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Wish you the best of luck coming to Chicago and going back in a day. That sounds very treacherous. <laughs> thanks, I wish you the best. Thanks very much. Safe, okay. safe travels. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Oh my wow. God. Wow, we have a lot to. Uh, Do you think, think we about need to there. cut this up? Uh, we'll see. Okay.